0: X-ray. Welcome to The Local, your daily dose of hometown news and democracy. I'm Emily Gilliland from Portland, Oregon, and it's Tuesday, April 13th. Have you subscribed to The Local? We'd sure appreciate it if you did. Please subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite podcast platform. It'll help us get to even more listeners. X-ray. Today, back in the day in 1953, Project MK Ultra was officially launched. With the aim of developing mind-controlling drugs as a defense against alleged Soviet mind-control techniques, CIA Director Alan Dulles authorized the start of the notorious project. The project was led by Sidney Gottlieb and went on for 20 years. The scope of the project was huge and often involved unwitting test subjects being exposed to high amounts of psychoactive drugs, electroshock therapy, and sensory deprivation wasn't until a 1974 report by the New York Times alleging that the CIA took part in illegal domestic experiments that a formal congressional investigation began. In 1975, the Rockefeller Report was released to the public, revealing the scale of the experiments conducted by the CIA on American citizens. Today, back in the day in 1997, Tiger Woods became the youngest champion of the Masters Tournament. Woods was taught how to play golf by his father at the age of two. Throughout his youth, Woods got national attention for his remarkable talent. He played at Stanford University for two years before leaving to pursue a professional golf career. At age 20, Woods went pro, signing ad deals with Nike and other sports gear companies that were among the most lucrative and pro golf at the time. The next year, he won the Masters, the tournament's youngest winner at 21. He would go on to hold the number one ranking in the official World Golf rankings for 264 weeks. He's won 82 PGA tours, 41 European tours, and 45 other tours around the world. Today, back in the day in 1886, Oregon's first female lawyer was admitted to the state bar. Mary Leonard, née Giessen was born in France in the mid-1840s. She moved to Portland in her 20s, but went east to central Oregon. There she married hotel owner Daniel Leonard in May 1875. Within two years, Daniel Leonard filed for divorce. He claimed that she was adulterous. She claimed he was abusive. The court ordered him to pay for her maintenance until a trial, but he refused. Mary promised revenge. Not long after, Daniel Leonard died from a gunshot to the head. Though Mary was arrested, there was no real evidence against her. She was found not guilty. After moving to Seattle to study law, Mary became the first woman admitted to the Washington Territory Bar in 1885. She came back to Portland to set the same milestone in Oregon in 1886. On today's episode, we'll start with your quick six news headlines, and we have an interview with Representative Andrea Salinas with updates from the legislative session. And first up, it's time for today's quick six local rundown. A harsh drought is overtaking Southern Oregon and Northern California this year. This region is critical for endangered fish, local tribes, and agriculture. The region released water stores to local farmers late last summer, and the following dry fall left the region parched. This week, the U.S. Bureau of Reclamation will announce how the region's water will be distributed. Who's depending on the project's water allocations? Possible recipients include local tribes looking to sustain culturally significant and endangered fish, the largest wetland refuge this side of the Mississippi, and 1,400 local farmers who have irrigated the land for generations. Only some of these groups will be able to get water from the government, though. On the one hand, the last time the water was cut off for farmers in 2001, some family farms went out of business. Thousands protested the action. On the other hand, both the Klamath and Yurok tribes have treaties guaranteeing the protection of their fisheries. These tribes' relationship with native fish species goes back millennia. Without water to fill fishery beds, the region's fish will have nowhere to lay their eggs. Amy Cordalis, legal counsel for the Yurok tribe, had this to say. Quote, this is the reality of climate change. This is it. We can't rely on historical water supplies anymore. We just can't. And now it's time for your daily dose of data. On Monday, the Oregon Health Authority reported 294 new coronavirus cases. It brings the total number of cases to 170,850. The OHA also reported one new death. Oregon has seen a total of 2,441 deaths. And 168 breakthrough COVID cases were reported, Those are people who test positive for COVID even after getting vaccinated. However, that is still a very small percentage of the over 2 million Oregonians who have received at least one vaccine dose. As we reported yesterday, supply of Johnson & Johnson vaccines is running low. After a Baltimore manufacturing company botched the production of a large vat of vaccines, Johnson & Johnson had to retract their initial pledge of 24 million doses nationwide. Oregon has already received 61,000 Johnson & Johnson doses. This week, the state will receive 7,500 doses. The week after, it will only be 2,000. That's a decrease of 88%. COVID cases in Oregon have been slowly rising since early March However, Pfizer and Moderna are still producing vaccines at full capacity and will continue to ship doses to Oregon in the coming weeks. Ponzi Vineyards has been acquired by a prominent French champagne maker. Ponzi Vineyards is one of the Willamette Valley's best-known winemakers. The way the Ponzi family puts it, they arrived in Oregon in 1969 in a flatbed truck that carried two cats, a dog, a canoe a piano and four barrels of homemade wine. Founded in 1970, Ponzi Vineyards is known for pioneering the modern wine industry in Oregon. They specialize in Pinot Noir and Chardonnay. Now the winery has been bought by the noted French house, Champagne Bollinger. It was Bollinger's first winery purchase outside of France. The Bollinger company will own the winery and tasting rooms as well as 35 acres of vineyard. The Ponzi family will keep 100 acres of vineyard, but sell their grapes to the new owners. Washington passed nine new bills on police accountability. One bill banned tactics like chokeholds and no-knock warrants. Another put the state's attorney general in charge of police misconduct investigations instead of the police bureaus themselves. Yet another bill requires other police officers to intervene and events when fellow officers are being overly forceful. Still, other bills create a state apparatus to track, investigate, and punish police who use excessive force. These bills were championed by the Washington Black Lives Matter Alliance. Alliance supporters submitted more than 30,000 comments on police accountability bills to Washington state legislators. Oregon has many similar police accountability bills in committee But none have actually passed yet. FEMA provided resources for Oregon wildfire survivors. Confusion and conspiracy theories followed. FEMA set up a site in southwest Oregon full of trailers for the survivors of this summer's wildfires. Those fires decimated much of Jackson County's affordable housing, neighborhoods, and trailer parks. Hotels and motels have been converted to accommodate the increased need for shelter. But the Jackson County Emergency Operations Center director says, quote, we're essentially at zero percent vacancy. So these FEMA trailers are useful for housing many of Jackson County's displaced people. The county reports 96 people are currently housed there. However, the trailer's appearance spurred confusion at best and conspiracy theories at worst. FEMA has been a recurring boogeyman in many far-right conspiracy theories. It was most prominently talked about when the federal agency stepped in after Hurricane Katrina. On Sunday, it was reported that rumors spurred people to show up with guns at the FEMA site. One rumor suggested that the trailers were being used to transport immigrants to the border. Officials report that the situation did not escalate and that no one was hurt. Spokesmen from FEMA emphatically denied the rumors and confirmed that the trailers are, in fact, used to house wildfire survivors. And some good news. You can watch authors Karen Russell and Jeff Vandermeer in conversation with each other tonight. The event is being put on by PALS and will be streamed on their website. Karen Russell, author of Swamplandia, and Jeff Vandermeer, author of the Annihilation Trilogy, are imaginative speculative fiction authors. Although their talents are recognized nationwide, both authors live right here in Portland. They'll be discussing Jeff Vandermeer's new book, Hummingbird Salamander. His psychedelic conspiracy novel tackles questions about climate change, identity, and community. The event is at 5 p.m. and is free. More information can be found on the PALS website. And that's today's Quick 6 Local Rundown. X-ray. Morgan Jones and DJ Ambush speak with Representative Andrea Salinas about new proposed legislation that would allow incarcerated people the right to vote in Oregon.
1: House Bill 2366 and Senate Bill 571 could allow incarcerated people the right to vote. Currently in Oregon, formerly incarcerated people have voting rights, but inmates do not. We're speaking with with state representative, Andrea Salinas, today, who is a chief sponsor of both bills. Representative Salinas, how are you this morning?
2: I'm doing well. How are you?
1: Excellent. Excellent. Thank you for your time. Um, I'd like to begin our conversation with a quote from author Clint Smith. In an article Smith wrote for The Atlantic, he said, The bodies of people in prisons are counted in the design of our political infrastructure, but their voices are not.
3: Mm.
1: With that in mind, can you elaborate on why these bills are so important?
2: Wow, that's a really powerful quote, and Mm -hmm. I think it kind of gets to exactly why... um, this type of bill is needed and i think um it's kind of twofold um you know oregon really prides itself on expanding voter rights for all people and this is one example of how we can continue to do that right Mm -hmm. so last year we were talking about closing two prisons and the very people who would be affected most by that type of decision were ex excluded from the decision-making. They weren't even at the table. They couldn't even decide who represented them in the legislature to make those decisions. Mm. And that is pretty powerful. In addition to that, I think this bill, you know, I got a great question at the hearing from one of my um, colleagues, one of my Republican colleagues who said, I don't understand this bill. If people who are incarcerated and don't really respect the rule of law why are we allowing them to participate in voting or something to that effect and I said it's incumbent upon them through the restorative justice process Mm. to understand that to understand the laws that have been broken and to reconcile with that I said so it's twofold it's giving them back something i don't think that should ever be taken away right they have a responsibility 95 percent of people who are incarcerated return to the communities that they came from some of Mm. them still have families some of them are single moms who have who have children back in their communities that they still um you know have a connection to and care for so i mean they and those children don't have anybody representing them So there's that. And then there's also the how do I reconcile with my community if I if I'm still not connected to them? And so this Mm. is a piece of that restorative justice process. Like, how do I kind of find that connection back in understanding of, yes, what is that rule of law? How you know, how does it all work and how do I fit into it? And this is that piece that connects us all again to each other. So giving somebody that voice and that understanding is part of these bills. And I think it's really important, um, for that restorative justice piece. Um, so I, yeah, so I'm a, I'm a huge champion of this bill. I know, um, it's not a, a super popular bill with, I think, um, and I think it takes a while to, to, to explain it to ordinary voters. Um, and I know, you know, it takes a while for people to get their minds around it. It's not what we are used to, um, what we're used to. And we're used to taking everybody's rights away. Right. But being, pu- having your physical freedoms taken away, I think, is enough. But having your voting freedoms taken away is, is completely unjust and does not kind of restore you and prepare you for when you do return to your community.
1: Agreed.
3: What do you find the 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 biggest roadblock for people understanding that is? i I, I mean i'm I'm sure there are many. Uh, but what what are one of the the big ones that you find people just go, this doesn't make sense to me?
2: Well, I think um, you know, I you know being Latina and having family members who I think have um, been had have had issues with our um correction systems i think that is a big part of it Hmm. i think if you either have been in the correction system or you have family members um you know most of our um uh, uh, people who are incarcerated i mean let's be honest are black and brown people
3: yes So i think
2: that that is a big part of it so walking in um people's shoes having that life experience or at least having family members who have had that life experience i think is one part of it that um i think we are a society that has a lens of being punitive
3: Mm -hmm. right and
2: not not kind of having a lens of what does um we i think we like to brighter i because i have been having these conversations with people and people who will tell you up and down i am so progressive i you know Mm. i'm Uh, You know, I am not racist. I am not, you know, all these things. And then you challenge them on this and they're like, oh, no, people should be locked away. All their rights should be taken away. And I'm like, what?
3: What? Yeah. And I'm just like, what?
2: And then I start dismantling it. People are punitive. And I'm like, that doesn't, that's not justice. So I think people's idea of what justice is actually needs to be challenged Um, because I think people think that what we have in America and in our society is justice right? and they don't see it as um, actually um, a legacy of institutionalized racism and I think over the last year we have started to deconstruct that and dismantle that and examine that and with that lens it takes a little bit more time to Mm -hmm. really challenge um, people's views but once you do, I think, I think people come around and they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, you're right, right. you know, but it takes time. And so, um, you know, I think people generally think what we have is a system of justice and it's not. We have a system of mass incarceration.
3: So, um perfectly said. <laughs> uh, I mean, and and that goes right into, There's an advocate of this legislation said that we must ask ourselves if the goal of prison is to rehabilitate or to punish. And how will these bills help us practice restorative justice?
2: So in my mind, I mean, it's going to take some effort, right? So we, um, we're moving the Senate bill. We're not going to move the House bill and we tried to um there are some actual fundamental on the ground things that we're going to have to do right the county clerks are going to have to be involved in this we're going to have to figure out where um our incarcerated uh, last live right so how do you actually figure out where they lived how you get there um so in other words so you know who who they should be voting for, right? Which ballot should they get? And then there's gonna have to be coordination within the prison system, right? So our Department of Corrections actually testified in support of this because they know that this is part of a restorative justice plan. It's gonna take, I think, all of us to understand. And then you actually will have, I mean, I actually had questions again in the rules committee from some folks who were like, oh, how would we then reach out to inmates? And then I had, like, League of Women Voters saying, how would we educate prisoners? Because mm. We would like to be a part of this, right? You start to see the community realize this is a group who, who have been ignored, right? We have ballot measures that come up. We have ballot measures around how are we going to, you know, are we going to continue to criminalize um, small, small possession of drugs? Or are we really going to try to treat um, right. addiction, right? Things like that. You know, so I mean, it it goes beyond just trying to elect the right people from your community. It goes, you know, it goes to other issues as well. But then we will actually have people who, I mean, we do. We have people who in the community reach out and try to educate us, right? No, you should vote this way. No, you should vote this way. I see that as bringing us all together and actually having people reach out to inmates to say, look, here are the issues. Here's the pro side of it. Here's the con side of it prisoners are not a monolith just like voters are not a monolith right we're going to have Republicans independents progressives um, Democrats it's you know it's going to be the full range and so I see it though as as people kind of treating our inmates as as the whole person that they are and again seeing it is kind of an exciting experience because uh, for me a first step is to rehumanize um, it's it's a very personal issue for me. I have had um, relatives who have been through the system and 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 not survived it. Honestly, so yeah. it is very personal. And I think to rehumanize and to understand that that is a first step, and to treating people like people. Um, but yeah, but bringing them into a space that we are all discussing these issues and these issues matter to them. Um, and that, that it's real, right? We will be spending just under half a million dollars to figure out how do we, how does the count, how do the county clerk figure out who the right people are that you'll be voting for? How does the Department of Corrections make sure you get the correct ballot? That's all technical stuff. It's going to have to work. And then people, I think, like I said, on the outside are going to have to figure out, okay, how do we educate on our side of the issue? This is what I want to say to them. That's an exciting thing when we all start talking to each other.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. For anyone just tuning in, this is DJ Ambush and Morgan Jones, and we're speaking with State Representative Andrea Salinas about voting rights for incarcerated people. If the bills pass, how will the Oregon Department of Corrections protect the incarcerated population's voting privacy? Are there any conversations about that?
2: Um, You know, that's a good question. I think... um, I have not been watching the Senate hearings, but like I said, I know that there there will be some money put put towards that. Um, I don't know exactly, and I haven't spoken to the Department of Corrections. I think we will need to continue to, to work with them, and I know that there are some um, voting rights advocacy groups that will continue to um, work with them to make sure that it is done properly and that we aren't... Um, running afoul of any laws or anything like that and staying true to the law that we passed. Um, so yeah, so we'll have to continue to monitor it. Um, but I think if we put the resources behind it and then, and, and if the bill does pass, I think there will be genuine effort to actually put the resources behind it to make sure it does work. So I wouldn't, I personally would not want to see it fail. And I think, um, again, if it passes, I think there will be an effort to make sure it succeeds and that we do it the right way. Uh, but like any bill, you mm-hmm. know, things can go wrong the first time and you you, you, you course correct, right? Mm. And you figure it out. Um, but, yeah, I think it would be exciting to see and um, and I would hope that we would have the help of the Department of Corrections if they needed additional resources. I would help to get them the resources they needed.
3: Amazing. Uh, how can our listeners learn more about these bills?
2: Well, they can
3: always go. So the nice thing
2: about... Um, COVID I know a lot of people are like oh I hate being at home and I do too you know I'm I'm a people person and I love being you know out and about in the community and stuff like that but if you go to oregonlegislature.gov you can watch hearings online you can watch the debates on the floor um and you can monitor the bills as they go through the process right now um the bills that we have are and the bill that um, is on the senate side is actually in the ways and means committee Mm. So SB 571 is the bill that moved out of the Senate Judiciary um, Committee, and but it is in the Ways and Means Committee, which means it needs a little bit of money. Like I said, about just under half a million dollars. So if the Ways and Means Committee decides that yes, we will give it half a million dollars to get through the process, it will then go to the Senate floor, and then we've already had hearings on my bill in the House on the House side. So. It will then just go straight to the House floor if it passes the Senate floor. But folks can go, like I said, onto it's called OLIF, the Oregon like legislative information system. But it's if you go to Oregonlegislature.gov, you can find SB five seventy one and follow the bill. Excellent. In fact, you can even sign up and they'll send you notifications when the bill starts to move or there's any hearings on it or anything like that.
1: Nice. 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 Thank you so much. Thank you so much for your time this morning.
2: Well, thank you. Thank you for covering this issue. I think it's really important, and I'm really excited to see it pass.
1: It absolutely is. We were just speaking with Representative Salinas about House Bill 2366 and Senate Bill 571.
0: Thanks to Representative Salinas for joining The Local. And thank you for listening to The Local, your hometown in just about 30 minutes. And thank you, democracy. We'll talk to you tomorrow. X-Ray.